And now, time to get in the huddle with your host, Charles Prodger Ritchie, here on the Mass Steel Podcast. Hey, you blink, I'll cut your eyelids off. Don't you blink. Let's go. You get where you feel like you can rush the quarterback. You understand? Rush the quarterback. Do you have room in the trophy for another one there? You got six of them. Now you're the winningest franchise in NFL history. We'll make room. And good afternoon and good evening, everybody. Welcome to this edition here of the Mass Steel Podcast right now. Join me live right now as well on Instagram Live. I'm being joined by NFL National Writer for NFL on CBS. I'm talking about none other then Brian Diarlo right here, who can be followed on Twitter and Instagram, at Brian Diarlo right now. We are uh, just kicking off right now. Got a few hot-button interesting topics to start off with. Of course, everyone has been finding out within the last couple of weeks now, the new and improved Rooney Rule. Now we're going to be seeing some women also in the race uh, more spread out as along with minority coaches right there. How much better will this be? And uh, did the owners and Art Rooney get right for his old man, Dan Rooney? Plus, I'm sure, Brian, I'm sure you got a chance to hear some of James Harrison's controversial comments about his association with Mike Tomlin. An envelope? What was it? Gift cards to, like, uh, Great America or, uh, or Buffalo Wild Wings? I don't think so. I don't know about you. Then... Also, too, a new proposed rule that's supposed to be voted on shortly as far as, like, giving you the option to go away from the onside kick. You'll have two opportunities for 4th and 15. What does it mean? You'll find out. Of course, as always, you see me right here on the top of your screen. You can catch me every Mondays and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Central Standard Time on the Metal Steel Podcast. I also host On Deck on ChicagolandSportsRadio.com. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram, at ProjRitchie, at On Deck CSR. With the only exception for the Metal Steel Podcast on Twitter, it's at Metal Steel CGR. And on Instagram, at Metal Steel Nation. And then you can also check out my YouTube channel, which I'm streaming live off on, Metal Steel Podcast. I am going to make a slight change, probably to YouTube one day. Uh, I may not be going live anymore on that. I may do pre-recorded videos. I'll keep you posted. But other than that, let's get ready to get right into it right now. Brian, how the heck are you? And thanks for joining me here on the Metal Podcast. How are you? I'm doing well, Charles. How about you this evening, man? Happy belated Memorial Day. Uh, glad to be with you. Glad to be talking uh, football, uh, specifically Steelers football. So yes. Uh, no, no, no doubt. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I mean, this, I mean, the way everything's been going this past year, it, it, I almost forgot that it was Memorial Day this past week. I mean, just everything with the stay-at-home order, uh, people having to be quarantined. There's a lot of people, including myself, and I'm sure not the only one, many people are questioning, how the heck are you going to find a way to manage a live NFL season if possible? Because you got to think these scenarios right here, like where it's teams. Like, say the Steelers, for instance. My my only thing is, Brian, I will say this. Are you, are, are you not surprised right now with this whole pandemic? I mean, we already see the NHL as one of the second and third uh, sports actually trying to make a comeback right now. 
having the 24 tournament for the Stanley Cup playoffs, but NASCAR already came back uh, slightly before. Baseball, the players don't seem to be too happy with taking the pay cuts right now, but unfortunately, these are the times, desperate measures we have to look into. My biggest question is, and I'm going to kick it off with you right here, are you not surprised that we haven't heard many athletes consider pondering retirement? If they're so concerned with the head-to-head concussions that has been existing for years and more enforced with outlawing the helmet-to-helmet hits, are you or are you not surprised that we're not hearing more athletes think, you know what, wait a minute, if I'm so worried about a concussion, i got to be looking more about my health where this could be that drastic to like not only my life but my career. What, what's your take on that so far? I think everybody's moving and uh, doing the appropriate things. Um, I I support what the NHL is trying to do. I support what uh, the NBA is trying to do. This isn't a uh, you know a political statement or anything like that. I just think that if you look at where our country's going uh, as a whole, we're all starting to open up certain parts of the country. You know, you're seeing more people now going shopping, eating in restaurants, going to malls. Uh, so I think it's at sports now right. starting to come back. And you, know, you look at the NBA, I mean, they're still two months away uh, from when I believe they're going to start playing. And it's not like they're going to be playing the way it was in full stadiums at various sites. They're going to be in, in confined areas. It'll be the same way with hockey, which is going to have a 2014 playoff format, which I like because that means – at the playoffs, which I'm never not, but we still can't get home ice. I mean, what are the Jackets going to have to do to get home ice? That's that's neither here nor there. But yeah, um, so I, I think I think you know they're moving appropriately. The NFL has the luxury of being in the off season, which baseball, basketball, hockey did not have that luxury. Baseball started during was supposed to start during the pandemic. Basketball and uh, you know, hockey were at the tail end of their regular whole thing happens. So, uh, but I think the, the NFL has the luxury of seeing the experiences that the other three leagues are going to have before they dip their toe in the water. Uh, I'll just say uh, the NFL, you know, the, the, the organizations that I'm more concerned about, or I think should be more concerned, are the colleges because. If colleges don't open up, how do you have football teams come back and other smaller sports, right. country, soccer, whatever? But I, but I think I think right now, though, everybody needs to not worry about the three or four months out. If you're a regular civilian like me, like you, right? Let the, the people at B make those decisions, and let's just focus on what's happening now, which is we're going to get hockey back, we're going to have a baseball season, we're going to get the NBA back, and as it currently stands, we're going to have. Uh, an NFL season. What that exactly is going to look like, I don't know. I'm going to guess that we are going to have training camp. Uh, I even think that there will be parts of the public that will be there. I don't think you're going to have a whole stadium full of people at St. Vincent College, but I can see a situation where there will be some fans there. So I think everything right now is still on the table. The Steelers, as you know, Charles, I'm sure, sold 50% right. of their season tickets, which I think was... Um, Appropriate, you know, not to sell out a stadium. I think they're showing their due diligence to the pandemic. Uh, but, but yeah, I think right now, if you're an NFL fan or a sports fan in general, you should be encouraged by what's going on. 
I will say this. I mean, one other thing that makes me ponder with the NFL especially, I mean, so much emphasis, you know, when Roger Goodell has uh, made a vow when he's took a job as commissioner is to try and right the wrong a player's safety. I mean, ever since being in office, he's had to make some tough decisions and controversial ones over the years, which I look back and I respect most of them. Some of them are still tipping the lines. But I may have asked this before, but if not, let me repeat myself if I didn't. Why in the world are they are they not looking into like different helmet technologies right now when we got a pandemic? Because the only reason why I say that, you got a helmet, and you're talking about a disease that's respiratory threatening as far as like illness-wise. I mean, having people try and space out what in person, mandating people wear masks. I mean, what are you hearing if players do resume are they going to wear the same helmets to just make sure they have something over their mouth when they're playing to cover their face or what do you do in situations like that it's gonna be normal it's gonna be normal there, there's because that just seems mind-boggling if you ask me there's not gonna be anything extra okay nor should there be i mean if, if if they're deemed to play football they're gonna play football there's not gonna be masks being worn right there's not gonna be like they're gonna play football so uh, and speaking of football, uh, I think the Steelers are, you know, I have them going on 11-5 uh, in my preseason predictions. Um, I think it's going to be an interesting season for them. I think that the thing that, that fans can't get too carried away with is saying, oh, well, they have the second easiest strength of schedule compared, you know, based on last year's opponents win-loss. You can't really look at that too much because, you know, the league changes so much on a year-to-year basis. I mean, I don't think anybody expects Cleveland, for example, to go six and ten again. I don't think anybody thinks Cincinnati is going to go two and fourteen again. I don't think anybody thinks that they're going to be hell racers either. But no. I don't see them going two and fourteen again. So those are just you know two teams that went what a combined uh, you know eight and and you know twenty uh, four last year. So I mean, we don't see we don't see that happening. So. I just think people right now, you know, yes, their schedule is easier than if you were to look at other some of, some of the other teams. Uh, but that being said, they still have a tough schedule. I mean, Denver seven and nine last year, uh, but ended the year on a four. You know, they won four out of the last five games. If you look at the Giants, who they open with, I mean, I think they'll win that game. I'm not really concerned with that game. The Denver game concerns me. I'm not overly concerned with Houston. Uh, with you know. The DeAndre Hopkins and getting rid of that. Houston's a team they should beat. I see a lot of fans not thinking they're going to beat Tennessee. But people people forget that the Steelers and Titans were neck and neck for the wild card before Tennessee finished strong. Pittsburgh faded late. And then the Titans, you know, they had a great formula for playoff success. Tough defense, great running game. And a quarterback that didn't beat himself. Similar to what Jacksonville did way back in 1996 and a couple other teams I'm sure did that as well Denver 97 and, and whatever so uh, I wouldn't be surprised they won that game uh, Philly will be tough I think Philly will actually beat the Steelers um, they got a lot of young receivers though I think it's going to be tough for those Eagles receivers uh, Cleveland I think they'll split with uh, Baltimore I, I think they'll split with even though right. um, I'm not just giving them just because the Steelers have beaten Baltimore in prime time and on a holiday in the past. I'm not just giving them a win just because they did it four years ago. They got to do it in 2020. Uh, Dallas, I got them losing. Um, even though Dallas's defensive backfield isn't very good, 
Uh, I don't like the Steelers in a shootout right now. Uh, I just don't think – that's what Dallas is. Dallas are going to be uh, – that, that's a shootout game. Uh, you know, Cincinnati I think is going to be better, but I can't have the Steelers winning with them. So I have the Steelers winning the first game against them easily, the second game a lot closer in Cincinnati on prime time. I tell you what. I have them beating. They're just too young in my opinion. Washington is a win. Uh, Buffalo is a tough one. I have them winning that game, but I have them losing their last game of the season against Indianapolis, who has not won at Pittsburgh since 68. But Phillip Rivers has had up and down success against Pittsburgh, and I, I think that he's going to have success against them. But it might not matter by week 17. Now that there's a seventh playoff team, I could see the Steelers maybe having 11 wins after 14 games, not needing the last two games. That's certainly a possibility. And you could probably get into the playoffs with an 8-8 eight eight record, knowing how they finished the last two years with the expat playoff. I'm not banking on that fact, but I tell you what, Brian, I got a, a nice little nugget I want to throw at you real quick over here. And I'm not, and I'm not talking about this one, don't mind me. <laughs> no, but seriously, Ben Rosberg, did you know this year, he's be facing 10 first-round quarterbacks on schedule this year. Well, of course, being with uh, the Giants you're going to be having on there, you're going to be having uh, Bengals and Browns right there with uh, Baker Mayfield, Joe Burrow. Uh, you got your first uh, month of the season so far against first-round quarterbacks, uh, Joe Flacco of the Broncos. Then, of course, you also got Ryan Tannehill, like I just mentioned. You also got Carson Wentz uh, rematch with Ben Rosberg, this time in Pittsburgh. And then that's about it. I mean, as far as, like, the first round. Oh, and then the guy for the... Buffalo Bills quarterback, uh, Josh Allen right there. Check this out. Ben Rosberg in his career versus first-round quarterbacks, he's got the most first-round, he's got the most wins against first-round quarterbacks in his career with 70 wins to 43 losses. 62 win percent basically in his career. His best win percentage overall against uh, drafted quarterbacks in his career comes across Fifth-round quarterbacks is where he's got a perfect 4-0. So if there's anything to be encouraged about this season, grant them Ben Rosberg is back to being Big Ben since we saw his video last weekend. If anything shows historically, I like those odds right there. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. When, when I was looking at their schedule, I was looking at how many franchise quarterbacks the Steelers are going to be going against. And that that's where if you, you know... Uh, Daniel Jones, I think, is going to be good. Joe Burrow, I think, is going to be really good. But they're still very young quarterbacks. The Steelers tend to do pretty well with young quarterbacks. Andrew Locke is a, Locke is a guy that scares me. I think he's got some moxie. Obviously, he's got what all really good quarterbacks have. They lift up their team. Their teammates believe they can win. Locke, his stats weren't great down the stretch with the Broncos. But he showed that you know that ability to win and so i i really like what i saw from from andrew Locke. again i know that he's not um you know great numbers or anything like that he's kind of forgotten about when you're looking at some of the other quarterbacks daniel jones the joe burrows the baker mayfields but i can see this guy going into pittsburgh and, and pulling off an upset uh i'm really also interested to see how the Steelers do in year two against Lamar Jackson? Because I'm discounting when they saw Jackson in a slash role in 2018. I mean, they've only played against Lamar Jackson once with him as Baltimore starter, 
And yes, the Ravens won, but they forced four turnovers from Lamar Jackson. Did not turn the ball over last year, but the Steelers got four out of them. And if not for Mason leaving the game and then Juju fumbling, they would have won that game. So, uh, you know, I think the issue, one of my, I have several concerns with the Steelers. Not any major ones, but I have several concerns. But one of my concerns is you're asking a lot of the Steelers' defense to expect them to do what they did last year. Right. Um, I think they'll still be as effective, but maybe in a different way. Like, they weren't, they left something to be desired in the run defense last year. Uh, maybe they'll get better at run defense, but maybe they'll force less turnovers. Because I don't think they're going to be able to force as many turnovers this year as they did last year. Because last year they were on a record pace. The team stopped throwing Mika Fitzpatrick's way. He stopped making those big plays. And the offense put the defense in worse positions. So obviously it was it was a you know two way street in terms of their you know how they ended the season on that losing streak. But uh, I actually am working on an article right now. Uh, the three things that I think the Steelers could do right now to increase their odds of winning the Super Bowl. Um, if you're wondering what those odds are now, according to William Hill Sportsbook, they have the 13th best odds to go to the Super Bowl, which isn't terrible. No, uh, I would but that's that right, that right, right, playoff consideration that. right there, ranking-wise. 13th, when you say that, you're... Yeah, they're in. I mean, yeah. But I'm talking about Super Bowl. Oh, no, I... Is, eh. You know, it's not great. Um, if you're, you know, the Steelers are trying usually, you know, five or six, right? Standards yeah. is standard, all that stuff. If anything, this season, I'll tell you what, this is my hunch what's going to remind me of. Go back in time six years ago when they missed the playoffs two years in a row with Mike Tomlin, like after the 2013 season, this is like the second, this is the first year they went without Mike Wallace after not giving him his contract. He went over to the Dolphins. They barely just missed out after going on an insane winning streak, going eight and eight, have everybody else lose with the Chargers. I'm saying this year's going to remind me of the 2014 Steelers in some ways. Only reason, because you got a guy, Mike Tomlin, once again, who's being backed into a corner. Fans are looking to question him right now. See if he's like really lost uh, grasp of this team. Even though he's saying the right stuff, he's finding a way to motivate his guys. Right. But at the same time, what Kevin Colbert said at that end of the year press conference resonates with me more than anything. No more eight and eight seasons, uh, guys. We are streaming live right here on Instagram Live at Mass Steel Nation. You see me, Charles Prads, Richie, and Brian Diardo. If you guys want to shoot us a question or share us your thoughts during the time of this interview, please leave us a comment. We'll try and get to you during this portion of the interview and if you guys want to call in uh later on after our interview the number that you hit up is 312-209-2232 again that's 312-209-2232 we just ask that you wait until we finish this interview uh if you'd like me to answer more of your questions so what do you think of that comparison right there going to this year would you compare this similarly yeah. to 2014 in a way i would agree because i think they're going to go over five which is what that team did exactly uh, and I think you've got, you know, unlike back then where you had proven pieces on offense. Well, Lee Bell, let's remember, was not a proven commodity at that time. I was actually at the Week 1 game against the Browns that year. Where he had, in my opinion, his breakout performance. But going into Bell's second year, he also had the marijuana arrest going into that year. So... There was a lot of question marks around Le'Veon, but that being said, you knew Antonio was Antonio. You knew Ben was Ben. Uh, so those things you knew. 
they were able to win 11 games. The offense rose to the challenge. The defense was just good enough for them to win two-thirds of their games, roughly. This, this time around, the defense is what you think, right, has all the answers. Even though they lost Hargrave, which, you know, what we don't know yet what, what that's going to do. We don't know. Um, he was a good player. They couldn't afford him. It's just as simple as that. But Chris Wormley, uh, I think, will be good enough. Uh, Isaiah Bugs, we, we don't know what he could do yet. Uh, they obviously have Tyson uh, Alualu, who is a very good, capable backup. Right. So he's getting a little long in the tooth. Um, you know, but you know the defense is going to be there. Uh, my question with so, so yes, it does remind me of the 14 team. But my two concerns are lack of depth and inside linebacker. I know they got Ulysses Gilbert, Roberts, Bailey, and those guys who have some upside. Uh, but I did the numbers today. If you add the top three backups behind Devin Bush and Vince Williams, they have a combined, I think, 16 snaps or 16, yes, no, 16 tackles in 17 games. So there's like no experience behind them. So, and that was the issue in 17 when Chase Deere got hurt and they had nobody to back. They had to go get a, a guy that Sean Spence off the street to, and like, that's, I mean, people always look back on that Jacksonville loss like it was like it came out of the blue. Not really. Jacksonville beat Pittsburgh in regular season, and that's when they had Shazier. They didn't have Shazier in that game. I mean, that, that that's like that's like when you're a kid and you have the game genie, if you remember that, on Sega or whatever it was, or Super Nintendo, where you put, you put the cartridge in and you couldn't lose. You go from playing against one of the best linebackers in football to playing against Sean Spence. I mean, of course Jacksonville was going to win. Thank goodness they didn't have to play New England uh, that round. Uh, and I think they should they should look into getting Cam Newton. I was kind of against that for a long time. And I, uh, that article will come out on Friday. I was ready in, uh, today. But what's, I, I don't like the contradiction with, with Kevin Colbert and Mike Tomlin when they say, we're all about competition. You know, we're all about guys competing and this and that. When... Ned is, does not have competition in quarterback. Let's just get that clear, which right. I'm fine with that. Cool. He's a franchise quarterback. He's earned it. He doesn't want to have a, like an Aaron Rodgers situation in Green Bay, Jordan Love. No problem. But is Mason Rudolph really not going to be rivaled this year? No, I get the reasons why. Because you want him to focus on becoming better and not trying to fight off competition. I understand that. But Juju Smith-Schuster has to fight for competition. So does James Conner. Oh, yeah. You know, like, the only the only two guys on the team that are absolved of competition, in my mind, or maybe three guys. Or there's probably more, now that I'm thinking, like, you know, why, obviously, Minka, Hayward, Pouncey, and Ben. But beyond those five, everybody's job should be up for grabs. Bud Dupree included. Joe Hayward yep. included. Like, so I don't understand why Mason Rudolph has earned, like, it wasn't like he went out there and, and, and and emphatically planted his flag and said, I'm the next guy. He was 5-3 and three last year. I don't think he was as bad as some fans are, are, are saying. He was he was fine. He played like a above-average backup that was able to win them some games. They beat the teams they were supposed to beat. They lost the teams that they should lose to. So Mason did what he was supposed to do. But the fact that they wouldn't sign Camp Newton to challenge Mason Rudolph. And you can even sign Cam with the caveat of you're coming into a quarterback battle. 
we're not signing you and you're number two right away. Maybe Cam doesn't want to do that, and that's fine. But why wouldn't you at least offer it? You know, because to me, if you're all about competition, Mason Rudolph should not be going in firmly secured of his backup position because that's, as of now, how it works. Not only that, too. I mean, but I think they're also taking note of the fact, too, that Cam Newton is refusing to be a backup for right now. I mean, if he's willing to sit out... We don't know that. That's just for reports. He hasn't come out and said that's all I'm saying. Like, there's reports that he's saying that. Okay. What I'm learning, what I'm doing, Charles, I don't say anything as fact unless I hear it from the person's mouth. And Cam Newton has not said, hey, I'll play, which he shouldn't. And and you're right. He probably does not want a backup job. That's probably why he's still unsigned. That has to be the reason why he's still unsigned. Because if you look at what he did prior to his foot injury, 2018, he completed almost 68% of his passes. He threw 24 touchdowns, mm-hmm. 13 picks, which is quite a bit, but not terrible. Not terrible. Then threw 16 that same year. Still ran for four touchdowns. Averaged nearly five yards a carry. So Cam Newton was still a very good quarterback when he had that injury. Now maybe he wasn't 15 Cam Newton, which isn't fair because that was a, an iconic season. I mean, that's one, of, that's one for the record books. But if Cam Newton is at some point willing to accept the backup. He probably cannot command a lot of money. He knows that. He'll probably make around, you know, four or five, maybe six million. Maybe six I would I would pay Cam Newton six million dollars to come in, compete with uh Mason Rudolph to be your backup quarterback. And that that's how I would play it. Uh because, you know, that's gonna and that's gonna bring out the best in Mason Rudolph. You know, I can see again, I can see the fears why you would want to do it. You wouldn't want to do it because you would not want to. And that's also going to cause controversy. That's going to bring attention to the team. That's going to bring, you know, more national media like me, you know, and all the writing and all the opinions. But if you're trying to win games, you got to not care. You got to have tunnel vision. You got to do what's best for your team. And if you're all about competition as you you are, then there's no reason why if Cam Newton would come and would compete for the backup job, why you wouldn't sign? You're going to get the best well, out of Mason Rudolph. You, you, you can also make a similar case for a guy like uh, too little, too late, but he's already with the Saints and James Winston right there, who's already going to be a backup for Drew Brees right now, which is highly probable this year, maybe his last year with the Saints. Because let me tell you this, as good as Drew Brees is, he's in his 40s right now, he could still play, but you get a wake-up call as a franchise when you lose him for a significant amount of time last year. Luckily, they were able to get through. Ty Bridgewater had to be at the right place, right time. Took a chance of being a backup. He uh, got his opportunity. He ran with it. Went undefeated right there. So, I mean, you got to look at it from those possibilities. Because the only thing is, nothing's ever promised in this league. Because look at a guy like Des Bryant, who was a receiver. Probably right. like similar to like a running back where your career seems to be a little bit more shortened versus a quarterback because the quarterback is like your is like your ace pitcher in baseball when it comes to football, right. end of the day. And, and we know, you know, and, and I'm not saying, I don't think for a second right now that Cam Newton's getting blackballed or anything like that. I don't think it's a Colin Kaepernick situation, but you're starting to see now more outlandish guys, more guys that speak their mind. It's harder for them to find jobs. Des Bryant, people forget he had that big locker room spat 
with a media member, I want to say it was his last season with the Cowboys. He hasn't played since. Right. So I think, you know, remember Cam, uh, was it uh, Mike Mitchell? You know, Mike Mitchell had that big, you know, ripping Roger Goodell in the locker room, which fans loved during the 20. That's yet, there was so much drama during the 27 to 2018 seasons. You forget moments like Mike Mitchell when he went off on the media about uh, Roger Goodell and everything. It was hard for him to find a job after that. Mike Mitchell was a a starting above average safety on a team that was really good. He had his deficiencies, but I think definitely part of the reasons why it was hard for him to find a job was because of his mouth. Cam Newton brings controversy. Colin Kaepernick is another one who's probably put his foot in his own mouth at the last opportunity he's had from almost beating out a discrimination case. He may have just stuck a fork in his career right now with his comments last year. You had interview right there. You're going with the former Browns coach and Hugh Jackson, getting ready to work out with you. Then all of a sudden, at the last minute, because you're hesitant, assigning a waiver right there, you decide to have your own damn workout at another facility, have some people like travel out of their way. Some people just said, yo, screw it. It's like, why we got to go care of this guy? I mean, I hope that's not well, the case, but the Cam, Cam he might have did himself in. Right, he brings attention. People remember when he pouted after Super Bowl 50, walked out of a media session. Uh, he was disrespectful to a female reporter a couple of years ago. So, But he's done a lot for his community. He's never gotten in trouble with drugs no. or anything like that. He's had some immature moments and some disrespectful moments with the media. And that's the worst thing you can say. But, but from all accounts, he's a good teammate. Yes. He's a hard worker. And he's 31 years old. And now we see quarterbacks playing into their 40s. Yes, I think a lot of people are worried about Cam Newton's health and, you know, how efficient is he going to be when he can't run the way he used to be able you know, to run. But all we can go off of, what did he do his last healthy season? He ran for four touchdowns. He threw for 3,400 yards, I believe. 24 touchdowns, 13 picks. Like, he put up Cam Newton numbers. And his 67.8 for completion percentage has to be near his career high. It's not his career high. His career average is around 60. So he was getting more efficient. And I tend to believe if Cam Newton continues to play well into his 30s, he will continue to evolve as a passer. Yes, he will become less efficient as a runner. But if he's on the right team, like look at Ben Roethlisberger. Right. He's not what he used to be in terms of running. It's weird when he runs. It looks weird. But he's a great thrower. He's on a team where, I mean, remember the, the 2016 playoffs? Mm. That wasn't touched. That wasn't touched. The offensive line, if you look at, like, the best offensive line play I've ever seen, at least on the Steelers, was that playoff run against Miami, against Kansas City, where I don't remember Ben being t- I think Kansas City touched, like, hit him, like, once. Maybe sacked him once. But, like, Villanueva, Pouncey, Gilbert, all those guys. We're, we're impeccable. You give Cam Newton great protection, he's going to be great. I'm, I am concerned about the offensive line. I don't know what your thoughts are uh, there. I like the Wisniewski, you know, signing. I thought that was the best signing they could make. Uh, and I like the Ebron signing. Um, not crazy about it, but you look at the money that the Steelers are paying him versus what Cleveland paid to get Austin Hooper. Um, I'm very comfortable with that move. I'm good with the running backs. Uh, I would have liked to have seen a veteran, a veteran back, like a Frank Gore or something like that. 
I think the Steelers are kind of tired of the old, you know, bringing in a veteran old back like D'Angelo Williams. Because D'Angelo Williams was very good for like a year and a, and a game or two the next year. And then he pretty much got hurt and like that was it. So I understand why they might be a little sour on let's bring in the old veteran guy. Uh, but I think overall I'm good with their team. I'm good with what they're doing. I would bring in Cam Newton. I would bring in, I would bring in uh, my old boy uh, Darren Lee from Ohio State. I would sign him. He's going to be cheap. He's athletic. He's still young. He helped the Chiefs win a Super Bowl in a reserve role last year. His last year starting for the Jets, 74 tackles, three interceptions, a pick six. Uh, he'd be, you know, under the tutelage of Brian Chase here, who went to Ohio State, who could work with him. The same type of player, small but athletic, could help in pass coverage. There's still some good uh linebackers that I would definitely pursue if I was Kevin Cole. But I tell you what, if you had to look at someone on the cheap, if uh, not this year, but we'll see like in the future uh, coming up, and this is a guy who actually uh, played for the University of Pitt. You know who I'm going to go with, uh, Joe Flacco. He's already signed a deal with the Jets, but I tell you what, if he ever becomes available again in the future, if I'm a Steelers, I need someone like for a quick fix for like about like minimum two years, I'd still look at Joe Flacco the way right here, who's got some familiarity, play college ball right there. I mean, right, he's only got a one-year $1.5 million deal, so he's on a one-year trial right there. But I'm just saying right there, I mean, maybe, yeah, he's a maybe, rival. Maybe because, maybe because he has a good relationship with Ben, they like each other, but I, I, I hate this word. I hate this word. I think he's washed. I really think Joe Flacco's washed. I really think he's done. I just he had him he had his moment. He did a lot with his moment. He won a Super Bowl. He has you know, what, he has a winning record against New England. So you're playoffs. saying basically he's damaged goods at this point, basically. I just think he's done. I don't think he's good anymore. Um, which is saying a lot. Because I'm a guy that still thinks Andy Dalton is good. I still think Cam Newton can be really good. But I just, and I used to, to, to I, the thing about Flacco that I always liked right. was his deception, and he was shameless in, if it takes screen passes and dunk passes and misdirections and whatever to win games, he won ugly and didn't care. But he also played with a chip on his shoulder, too. Yeah, I, you know, I, I like Joe Flacco. I, I think he's not a Hall of Famer. I don't think. I mean, who is a Hall of Famer, though? I mean, there is no criteria to be a Hall of Famer. But I think he's a really good player. And I think uh, he was a really good player. But I think he's washed. I think he'd be a fine backup. I mean, he... But here's the question, though. Like, would you bring him in to compete against Mason? Because that's just... I don't think that's even worth it. Like, I would only bring in someone that I know is better than Mason. And that would really force Mason to raise his game. You bring in Joe Flacco, if Mason loses to Joe Flacco, in my opinion, that's bad. That's bad because right now, if you're the Steelers, you're hoping that if Ben retires after 21, Mason can come in and replace him. Like a Rodgers and a Favre situation. Like, I don't think the Steelers have have stopped, you know, that dream. But so do I you... get why they don't want guy like Cam Newton is obviously going to challenge, would obviously challenge him and would be the, the overwhelming favorite to beat Rudolph out. But 
to me, if you say you're all about competition, why wouldn't you bring in – and you know what? Maybe there's an undrafted rookie they signed. I know they have more than – I mean, they have JT Barrett, uh, and they have another quarterback, uh, Paxton Lynch. But again, are those guys going to challenge Mason Rudolph? Probably not. They're going to have to get through Duck Hodges first to challenge Mason Rudolph. I, I don't see happening, but, you know, we'll, we'll see. That's just what I think, and, and that's okay. But, you know, and, and I think the receiving core is going to be good. Um, you know, I think the combo I'm excited to see is Deontay and Ben because we didn't see it last year. I think people that were down on Juju last year should be excited because he's going to be back on the slot now because Antonio, you know, that's what Juju was great when he was in the slot in 18 and Antonio was on the outside. Now, uh, with the addition of Chase Claypool, you could put him on the outside. You could put Juju. There's a lot of young guys, though. That's why I would have tried to get a veteran receiver. I would have tried to bring back Emmanuel. Why not? Why not try to bring back? Unless, I think in Emmanuel's mind, though, He's still like a number one receiver, or like a number two. I think the bigger, I think the biggest thing that trumps it all is his, his past relationship with Ben Roethlisberger and playing under yeah, Mike Tomlin, because he did admit that recently too. I mean, he's publicly criticized Ben when he was with Peyton Manning, and then of course going with Drew Brees. I, I'm not so sure if it's maybe like the respect or the proper leadership he feels like that's uh, being up to par, that's helping him get to the next level. Because hold on one second. Because I do believe at, at certain things, because when you think of the term leadership in general, you think of stability right there. The guy can communicate well. I'm not saying that Ben has it, but he's had had his share of enemies over the last few years. And uh, speaking of which, real quickly, I want to swing things over. And I'm sure you heard this about a couple weeks ago. I want to get your thoughts on this. And I mentioned this at the beginning of the show James Harrison, who was actually on a podcast with one of his uh, former uh, teammates, Willie Cologne, on the Going Deep podcast. I'm sure you heard a clip or two of that. But let me ask you a question. With his comments right there when he was asked about like uh, how he was with Mike Tomlin and like you know, if there's anything being like uh, held a grudge, I mean, he's... He definitely felt like he was not being upfront with James, I mean, Tomlin, right. that was. But he said, like, one of the most genius things he ever did for him during the 2010 season. This was before the fine, the fine start, I mean, the concussion rule was starting to be outlawed. Like, the helmet to helmet, I should say. The envelope. The envelope. envelope. What did you think right there? Do you think that further vilified James Harrison in the eyes of NFL executives and the commissioner right there? And if so... How much do you think it possibly hurt Mike Tomlin's reputation at this point when you heard that? It doesn't that? at all. It doesn't at all. I think. I think. I think Charles. What you? What in today's society? There's always the news of the day, and things get forgotten as quickly as they are remembered. And that comment now seems like it was made ten years ago. Like people just don't remember anymore. Like mm. there's in the in the world of social media, like. That, that came and that went like a comment. You know, it really did. Like, I think he said that on a Thursday or a I think he said it on Wednesday. I think it was on May 7th Thursday. to be exact. It was like around there. Yeah, I mean, he made it. It, made, it got some attention. And then, like, the next day, it was, it was like, it, you know, there was some residual, co- you know, obviously it made, the, it made the waves on social media and on talk shows and everything. And then it was over. I, 
Harrison's playing the media game. I think he's going to start his own podcast or his own show or something. I think he's, he's got something in the works with television or something where he's going to have a more prominent role in media. Oh, he's already been at FS1, a tag team. It was Speak for Yourself and Undisputed. Don't yeah, forget. I think he's going to have a bigger, like, more permanent role somewhere. But you got you got a bit about James Harrison when he's hosting, though. I like his wardrobe, the, the nice little flannel button-down shirt. He's like he yeah. seems like he's too tough a guy. He doesn't need to be a certain type. But FS1 is more flexible if you notice the way they're dressing up there. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's trying to he's trying to market himself. I mean, I mean, I think the thing that people don't understand is it, it's hard to have a career in the media, like unless you're you're trying to go beyond the Charlie Bats, Jerome Bettis, like I'm I'm a local Pittsburgh figure. Like it's harder. I mean, it's easy to go back to your city. But, like, look at Brian McFadden. Like, yeah. he works for my company. He's doing very well. Like, he, he's a, he's already, like, a well-respected media figure. Awesome. But, but, here's the but. In my opinion, uh, Brian doesn't do the hot take, say the big thing that's going to get you attention. Brian, his whole thing, in my opinion, is getting respect, sharing his mind, his expertise, and his, his honest opinion. Um... That's the tougher route, to be honest, because nuance and not big headlines does not get you as much attention as when James Harrison says he handed me an envelope. Like, Harrison wants, like, Harrison, I think Charles, to be clear, he doesn't want the KDK Pittsburgh, like, he doesn't want the local guy. He doesn't want what Brian McFadden is doing. He doesn't. So, do you think. think I think he wants. I think he wants either what Ryan Clark has on ESPN or something even even bigger than that. Like I think he wants to be the biggest ex athlete turned sports media celebrity that we have, at least in the NFL. Like Willie McGinnis. Willie McGinnis is 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 and Ryan Clark are two of the best that we have, and Dominique Foxworth is really good too, and I think Brady Quinn is really good too. Uh, some of those guys really practice the art of the hot take. Some of them don't. Harrison obviously wants to kind of, and again, I'm not taking shots, but Harrison works for Fox Sports, who their MO is saying this thing that's going to go viral. That's their MO. Calling, led by Colin Calvert. Like, that's their MO, is saying the thing that's going to go viral. But then again, James too... Harrison He's going to try to skip Bayless work. Like, Fox is say this thing that's going to go viral. And that's what James Harrison is obviously going to try to do as well. Skip Bayless. And, and, and that's not my cup of tea. Unless, like, like right now, and, and sorry to cut you off. No, you're okay. You're okay. Like, my, my, my hot take. The Steelers should consider signing Cam Newton. Do I think that it's fine if they don't? Yeah, it's fine if they don't. It's okay. That, you know, Mason will be the number two, and and hopefully Ben doesn't get hurt. Okay, but if they, but I think they should at least look into it. And Definitely. That's, do I hope that that gets traction when I write this article? Yeah. Do I hope that that selling Cam Newton does well for me? Yes. But but I believe it, and I'm not going to condemn them if they don't do it. I'm not going to call them idiots or, or incompetent or whatever. I'm just saying, if you're really invested in winning, and if you really believe that it's important to have competition everywhere, since like the five players that are franchise guys, you know, Watt, 
you know, even I'll throw DeCastro in there as well, even though I don't know if he's quite there because uh, he's getting a little older. But you know, that that's just what I think. But uh, who am I? But it's it, yeah, what Harrison's doing is very on brand with Fox, and uh, I, it's not my cup of tea what James Harrison's doing. In my opinion, he. Uh, but that being said, Harrison does a lot of other good things too. I like when he explains the pick six, and I love the fact that he still shows his workout videos. It's crazy that to do that, you know, he's getting in older uh, and retired, is still that focused on his health. And I think he is an inspiration to a lot of just your everyday gym rats, your everyday people that like working out. James Harrison is definitely an inspiration to a lot of people. So I still like Debo. He's one of my favorite players to cover when I covered him, and he's. A, I think Harrison. Uh, oh, he's a straight shooter. He is, in my opinion, Hall of Famer. I'm not sure. I think he's like a fringe Hall of Famer, but Steelers Hall of Honor, definitely. But he's got to be careful though. Cause Hall of Honor means that you represent the Steelers in a dignified way, and you could argue that Harrison has not done that from the moment he left Pittsburgh until now. So he needs to be careful if he cares about that. I don't think I don't know if he does. I think he puts on a front. I think Harrison cares, but it's not going to change the way he acts. If that makes sense. And you know what? And the thing is, too, I think uh, the only thing is, it's in some ways it kind of reminds me of Terry Bradshaw. But the only thing is, Bradshaw was more respectable. And the thing is, he's always said in his life, he was always a country guy. The way he was brought up. He was all about respecting people. He didn't like the environment of the tough expectations he was in. He was also, right, he was also ripped on when he was in no. Like Harrison was just nothing but beloved by Steeler fans. Like, Harrison never, well, yes, the, the team doubted him because they cut him a couple of times before he stuck. But And then he had to back up Porter for a while. But yeah. the fan base always loved James Harrison. Uh Unlike Bradshaw, who had warranted reasons for not wanting to come back, and Bradshaw is still scarred, and I don't, I don't blame it. But I did want to ask you this, Charles, to kind of to spin it on you. Shoot. So I'm working on a franchise five with six other guys. We actually, not me. I reached out to Jim Wexel. My colleague Brian Wilson reached out to Dale Lawley. He reached out to Andrew Filipponi. And he reached out to a few other people uh, whose names escaped me, but there's... Ed Bouchette, Mark Cabali, Ray for the Apollo. Right. Um, well, I tell you what, Ed Bouchette is like a top guy in there. And then, like, uh, right now, nowadays, right now, Dale Lally seems to be like the Robin to, like, uh, Bouchette's Batman. Because if you think about it, the reason why I say that, because when they were doing the Hall of Fame voting this year, Ed Bouchette was not there in person for the first I time... And forever, so Dale Lally was a guy who was representing the Steelers for Troy Palomalo and Alan Fanka. He was making the case to the right to the voters about those two getting in. Yeah, but that's in my opinion, that's just because he works for the Steeler radio station. Well, no, but he's but he's also he's also. I'm being a straight shooter. I think Jim Webb is the best Steelers writer there is. I'm biased because I work with him, but uh, I think Jim. I don't think anybody. The reason why I think that Charles is, if you read Jim's work... Jim Wexel? What was his name again? Steelers. I know his name. Can you repeat the name? I heard his name before. What was his again? Jim Wexel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He writes about the Steelers the way anybody would about any NFL team. He's mostly focused on the people and the positions and how much they get better on a week-to-week basis. Like, 
I'm lucky enough where I've attended, you know, training camp practices as a member of the media, and I watched Jim Wexel watch practice. I observed, and no one watches practice like Jim does. He he watches every position. He talks to his sources. He doesn't miss anything. It's like art. It's like brushing teeth to you and me. It's a natural. And not to say that Pitt isn't great. I love his work. I read his work. Mark Caballi, read his work, love his work. Uh, I think it's Aaron Pryor, the new ESPN writer. I really like her work. I just don't think there's anybody better than Jim because if you really care about the X's and O's, the position battles, like last year, Jim gave you updates. Not daily, but he gave you updates about the gun, the gunner battle between... Uh, Help me out. The fourth year cornerback from Tennessee. From uh, what what year? Last year. Seventeen. Who was the cornerback they got in 2017? Nelson? No, not Nelson. Joe Hayden. Sutton. Sutton. Cameron Sutton. Sutton. So, okay. Last year, Cameron Sutton and Artie Burns were in a battle for a gunner position. Nobody else is writing about it except for Jim. Hmm. And there was a after a, a post practice interview session where a reporter asked. Tomlin if he was really disappointed in Artie because Artie was no longer competing for a starting job. And Tomlin even said, disappointed, Artie's fighting for a job in our, uh, with the Gunners. He's holding right. off the young guy. Jim was not, like, Jim was all over that story. So to me, Jim is not going to be your guy if you want to know what James Harrison said or some of the drama or all that stuff or outside, stuff out like outside the NFL, the pandemic. But if you want to know about the Steelers, X's and O's, what they're doing on a weekly basis, he's your best guy. But that was – okay, but regardless, we're doing a Steelers franchise five. We have to name the best coach ever, best quarterback ever, and then best three other players in any position. And we all voted. Uh, Chuck Noll, the coach, unanimous. Joe Green, unanimous. Ben, or Bradshaw was the quarterback, not Ben. And they had a tie in votes at four to make the list. Me and Ryan Wilson made the call to make Bradshaw the quarterback because... I think it was more of the clutch G in the playoffs versus Ben, though. What's that? I think Bradshaw had more of the clutch G in the big games when it mattered, the playoffs. That has a lot to do with everything, I think. Right, Bradshaw has the rings, Ben has the numbers. But to me, the the tiebreaker is... Bradshaw won an MVP. Ben has not won an MVP. Bradshaw's the last Steeler to win an MVP. So I give... That's why we gave the nod to Bradshaw. Now players, Ben makes it. Joe Green, I said, made it. And uh, Paul Mollett made it. Which, the way we, I think, voted... Rod Woodson was the first guy out. Uh, I think we wanted two guys from like the modern teams that won Super Bowls. One offensive guy, one defensive guy, and then you have your Green, your Bradshaw, uh, and then you have Chuck Nolan. But here's my thing: I am I was stunned, Charles, that Franco Harris didn't get a single vote. Like Jack Ham got a vote, Jack Lambert got a vote, Mel Blanc got a vote. It was close. Mel Blanc got two votes, I think. Rod Woodson was the first guy that that didn't make it. Uh, he got obviously consideration. I couldn't believe that. Frank Harris didn't get a single vote. Like I, in my opinion, I would bump Paul Malu probably for Franco because because there's there's 
before Franco, and there's after Franco. After Franco is everything great that happened. Before Franco is all the bad that happened. So for Franco Harris to not be on a franchise five is like crazy. Plus, he was the main reason why they won those first two rings. Right. And yes, Bradshaw's maturity, that great defense also played big roles. Joe Green, you know. But Franco was the Super Bowl MVP. Franco had a big season in 75. Franco kept him going in 76 when they didn't have a quarterback. Franco scored the game-breaking touchdown in Super Bowl 13. Franco scored two touchdowns in Super Bowl 14 and had a lot of catches, yards, and stuff like that. Franco not making the franchise five to me is, like, absurd. And that being said... You said Franco Harris didn't make it? I'm sorry? You said Franco didn't make it? Franco didn't get a vote. And you know what? This, the thing is, when you think of a guy like Franco Harris, he's like number two in the pecking order as far as like big time Steeler characters, or maybe number three though, along with Ernie Stautner, who was Mr. Steeler. Probably deadlock tie would mean Joe Green. Joe Green was just more significant because they had a lot of the winning seasons and the championship success. But you would think a guy like Franco Harris should be right behind Mean Joe Green. I mean, for what he's did with that immaculate reception. I mean, if you want to put Bradshaw ahead of him, I'm, I'm fine with that because Bradshaw needed to mature for them to win anything. Like we saw in '70, well, we didn't see more alive, but you know, '72, you saw how far they could go with Bradshaw being good and not great. '73 was the same thing. Once Bradshaw got confident enough, once he got competent enough, they won Super Bowl nine. And then in 10, I think this is where Franco kind of slips a little bit. Those Super Bowls, he wasn't really great. Nine, he was great. 10, 27 carries, 82 yards. Not that good. Again, Dallas' defense was like, we're shutting down Franco Harris. Bradshaw's going to have to beat us. And he did, and Lynn Swan did. Super Bowl 13, 60-something yards rushing for Franco. A third of that was on one carry when he got mad at Hollywood Henderson and busted it and scored. 14, he had maybe more receiving yards than rushing yards, or it was close, and had those two short yards touchdowns, which were tough, but right. not great. I think the issue with Franco was he doesn't have many great Super Bowl memories outside of nine, which is not really thought about. It's not set, like Franco's runs in nine don't have the lasting power. That Swan's catches do. Or Star Wars catch does. But in Franco's defense, I will say this. Even though he was slowing down, the one significant play, his last big significant play he made in the playoffs in the Super Bowl was Super Bowl thirteen, when uh, one of the Cowboys players decided to beat up on Bradshaw. Remember they made a hit on him, but then and Franco Harris got in Bradshaw's face and said, you know what, just give me the effing ball right here. And guess what happened? He made a significant drive. And I think on that same drive, if I'm not mistaken, there was a questionable missed pass interference call uh, that that was missed by, like, like the that they called in the Cowboys controversially. And that, oh, Eddie Barnes. Because yeah, yeah. remember, I think they had, like, what, like about a four-point lead at that point. They started building up. And uh, it was just what happens. It was third down and long. Bradshaw threw it near sideline to uh, Swan. He got tangled up with Benny Barnes. They threw the flag. Right. I think it was 31 or 33 yard gain. I mean, yeah. I mean, Dallas. Dallas had the Steelers pretty much. Uh oh.
Hello, everybody. Sorry about that. Uh, we had Brian Diarl here. We're going to try and get him back on. Uh, Brian, if you could hear me right here, uh, we're still streaming live here on the Metal Steel Podcast. If you want to just uh, do the same thing what you did before uh, anything. So uh, hold on one second. Uh, we're going to try and bring him back on here. We're just talking about Franco Harris. And uh, and uh, here we go. So and uh, we're gonna hear. But if you guys want to like uh, shoot some of your questions, some of your thoughts, real quick here, feel free to hit up at Mass Steel Nation here on Instagram. We're uh, trying to get uh, Brian Diardo back on here in just a moment. But uh, yeah, and uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. Here we go. Here there he is. I'm going to bring it back on. And here he comes. Sorry about that, Brian. You know what? I think uh, what I forgot, there's like a little timeout issue, but we're good right now. We just had to restart. I'm sorry about that. Unfortunately, I think I am. We can talk for maybe a few more minutes. I think I am getting close to uh, up against the clock here. It was fun doing this with you. Uh, Enjoyed it. But yeah. Uh, I, they have to overrule the other writers and make Franco in there. I think the concern is you're, you're not only getting one guy from the modern-day Steelers, and the question is, you know, is Franco more valuable than Paul Amalu? I mean, Franco, Franco never won the league in rushing. He never won a league MVP award. Ne- never had anything like that. Was one of the greatest running backs of his era, but Franco Harris was never the best running back in the league. Probably. I mean, he played when O.J. Simpson was playing. Uh, you know, I would I would say O.J. Simpson in 75, 74 was considered the league's best back. Franco was probably top two, top three. Um, but, yeah, never won a rushing title. You look at Paul Mullow, he won a Defensive Player of the Year award. Uh, you know, he, he made huge plays in big games. I think it's safe to say the Steelers don't win two rings if they don't have Paul Mullow. So, the question is, do you bump Paul Molly for Franco? Because you can't bump Bradshaw. You can't. You could bump Ben. I wouldn't, but you could. I wouldn't bump Ben. So I think you got to keep Bradshaw. You got to keep Ben. I think you Bradshaw. You can move. I think Bradshaw's flexible. I think you can move him out of the way. Don't get me wrong. He's won big games, but at the same that's, time, the. I, I get that, but people are still looking yeah, at the I numbers and the stats. So some people may be willing to put Ben. I'll have them real quick in that. But real quickly, I want to get to these last two things before I let you out here, uh, as we mentioned real quick. And speaking of which, around those 70 teams who made a big difference in the Steelers franchise, Dan Rooney, who after winning those four Super Bowls, he went into the Hall of Fame in 2000. Three years later, he had the Rooney rule. Ever since then, four non-white head coaches have been hired since the implementation of the Rooney rule and two non-white general managers. Of course, I would have to say that's Izzy Newsom. And the current guy with the Jaguars, if I'm not mistaken, who be right. the two that come to mind. What do you think of this new rule right now where they're expand, expand and make sure they're not only hiring more candidates for coaches, coordinators, and possibly not just sort of like uh, minorities like blacks or whatever, but women in the front office more frequently are coaches. What do you think of those right. bitches? I, just, I, think, I think that best people need the jobs. But I also think that more people need opportunities. So I think that that's where I stand. It's, it's complicated. It, it's very it's a complicated topic. Um, I, I think that the best people need the jobs, and I do think that uh, 
you know, it it's complicated. That that's what I'll say. But I'm in favor of anything that's going to potentially promote and enhance more minority people to get chances. Because let's be honest, when you, I mean, it's harder for minorities to get jobs when those jobs are always filled by non-minority people. So once you get more minority people in the door, that is going to, like, look at, if you look at the Steelers, they have a lot of minorities within that organization. And so that is going to, should, and would, would assume open up the opportunities for more minority hiring so I, I think it's a good thing and uh, I don't have much more to add to it but I think it's a good thing and last but not least 4th and 15 rule right now they're uh, being flexible where you don't have to go for the onside kick and probably a safety concern but more so to make the game competitive 4th 15 you're only going to get 2 opportunities which team in the NFL right now offensively do you think this benefits the most going for those 4th 15. Would you say a team like the Ravens right now, who's got Lamar Jackson right now, and you got the weapons on offense, I'm running back, you got the defense. I gotta think that's gotta be one of the first teams that come to mind, or maybe the Chiefs right there, the fighting Super Bowl champions. If you go for a fourth and fifteen, try and get the ball I back. For, I think Dallas, it's great for Dallas. I think a coach like Sean McVay maybe doesn't have all the personnel he used to have. Right. It's good for him. Uh I think it could be good for the Bills. I see my concern with the Bills are Josh Allen's got a lot of pressure on him this season because they added, they gave him, what, three new receivers? They gave him Zach Moss. They pretty much said, all right, man, like, we've given you everything. I think Buffalo, though, is going to learn the hard way. You don't eat a cheeseburger like a steak. Josh Allen's a cheeseburger. Like, he's better when he runs the ball. He's better when you have a better running game. I don't think he is the type of guy that can throw to a bunch of receivers, but they're going to try it, and We'll see if it works. I personally think he's more of a cheeseburger and not a steak, but that's just me. Uh, I think he could help the Steelers. Tomlin's pretty imaginative. Well, I, I do wonder how much of that is Tomlin or Todd Haley, because if you notice over the last several years, the trick plays have kind of not happened anymore. Uh, but I think when you've got a franchise quarterback like Ben, who's smart, anybody with a franchise quarterback, I think helps helps them out. Uh, and, sure. and last but not least, I promise it's the last one, but i got to ask you this. That's been gaining a lot of traction this last month. And, of course, this morning, I'm sure you had to catch the last dance documentary on the Chicago Bulls right now. One of the biggest things that came out of this was the snubbing of Isaiah Thomas. But then again, no offense, I like Isaiah, but he was making enemies at the wrong time, saying if Larry Bird was black, he'd probably be just a normal basketball player. Of course, he also had the run-in with Magic Johnson, Like, but that was after the team was selected. That happened like months after the selection, but then not shaking hands with the Bulls. Do you think Isaiah Thomas is being too much like uh, whining about not being on there, or do you think this looks bad on Jordan on many levels? What do you think? Well, I think Charles, a lot of people don't like to see how the sausage is made. And Michael Jordan was a great player because he was crazy because he was maniacal, because he did whatever it took to win. I mean, that's what made, you know, Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan. Like, you know, if social media existed back then, you would have seen it. Um, He, all NBA players or all NBA media people within those circles back then knew that this was what Michael Jordan is. Um, I think he holds on to grudges a little too long, my opinion. But my major takeaway from that documentary is 
he's not the best basketball player ever. I, I don't think so. I think he... You think he had to use people to kind of get what he needed, basically? No, no, I, I think... I think... I think his aura... And I think his presence on the court was as important during that final 3 beat than him as a player. Because, yes, the, the flu game was inspiring and, and awe-inspiring. And his last game against uh, Utah was yeah. just an attrition of war. But LeBron James, Game 7, 16 Finals. You look at LeBron James' last three games in the 16 Finals. LeBron James, you know, Game 4, Game 5 of the 17 Finals. LeBron James, Game 1 of the 18 Finals. LeBron James, every game of the 15 Finals. LeBron James games, you know, game two of the 14 finals. Like, LeBron James is the, I think Jordan is the greatest player because of his aura, because of what he did for the game. He globalized the game. He took the game from being on him, Magic Johnson, Larry, he took the baton from Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, and blew it up. The most popular player we'll ever see in any sport. Like, the greatest. The greatest. But I don't think he's the best. I think the best is LeBron James. Jordan is the greatest. He's the greatest NBA player ever. Like, the greatest. Because of everything he brought to the table. Well, when you're... If you ask me to pick the best player, it's LeBron. It's not even close. Look at, look at LeBron at age 35 right now, before the pandemic. And look at Michael Jordan. LeBron is way better than Michael Jordan at 35. Like, if you look at... Their careers at 30, right before Jordan retired with the Suns, or after they beat the Suns, you would give Jordan the edge, like a slight edge. Like, and the, the same point in LeBron's career. He comes back to the Cavs and loses to Golden State in six, the first year back. You would say, okay, Jordan has a, an edge over LeBron. In their 30s? It's not even close. Like, it's not even close in their 30s. Who's the better player? Like, LeBron James. Like, to me, it's not close. And that's okay. Like, people might call me a prisoner in the moment. Like, Michael Jordan is one of my... If I had a Mount Rushmore favorite athletes ever, Michael Jordan, LeBron James, and throw me a Pittsburgh athlete. You know, I don't know, a couple of Pittsburgh athletes. Gino Malkin, Paul Molly, maybe Bettis, you know, but like... Or if you want to just stay for the state of Pennsylvania in general, how about Dr. J. Julius Irvin, even though he's Philadelphia? Still Pennsylvania. ABA. I think Michael Jordan would agree with what I'm saying yeah. to a degree. I don't think he'll ever say anybody's better than him, but like, it's a evolution happens. Like evolution happens. Like Brad Ben is a better quarterback than Bradshaw. He is. Like Ben, the game has evolved. Training has evolved. Diet nutrition has evolved. Film study has evolved. Practices have evolved. Training, everything's evolved. Therapy, like, everything has evolved. So it's okay. Like if Michael Jordan is was still the best player, I think we'd have a problem. The game, the best player should always be within this era. Uh, so, yeah. but I loved it, and I think you did too. I loved it. I loved reliving it. Uh, Michael Jordan was awesome. I was a kid during that era, so I watched it. I have a pair of his shoes ten feet away from me that I love. So. Yeah, big fan of Jordan, big fan of that documentary. Scotty Pippen was a bad man. A ba- and I fans should watch Game 6 of the movie. It was on ESPN last Wednesday. It's a it's a 
a new film version of that game six. I encourage people to watch it. Yeah. Well, hey, anyway, Brian, I just want to just say thank you very much for uh, tagging along with me here on Instagram uh, live video. Look at all the traction we just gained on here. We gained a lot of followers on here uh, tonight just tuning in. I just want to just say thank you for uh, being a good sport and then going on with me live here for the first time. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope everything worked out convenient. Minus that little hiccup we had here today. I hope everything worked out well for you. It did, Charles. Always fun talking good. Like likewise, my man. Hey, just thanks for joining me here. Fun to talk. Get some basketball out of you here too. But I will say this in closing: that there's one team, possibly maybe two, that could benefit coming out of this pandemic. I'll probably say either the Lakers or the Clippers. Maybe the Clippers with Kawhi Leonard doing more low management. I'm only concerned the Lakers may have some rhythm disrupted from taking this long pause, being Bucks. forced while everything's Bucks. happening. Bucks are winning it. That's right. Hey, Brian, well, hey, Brian, keep up the great work once again. Brian Diardo, ladies and gentlemen, you can follow him on Twitter and Instagram, at Brian Diardo. Write some good articles. Keep Stay tuned with him. He's very interactive throughout covering the National Football League. Love me some football talk and love your historical Steeler stuff. You got a great uh, history buff in that team as well, and I, I, I respect that the hell out of you. Awesome, Charles. Thanks, buddy. Good seeing you, man. Talk Likewise. Be safe. Likewise, my man. You take care. We'll see you, Charles, soon, okay? All right, man. See Likewise. Bye-bye. And there you have it. That was uh, the end of the interview right here. So I uh, got like a, about two more minutes left on the show. If you guys want to feel free, leave me some comments real quick here. Want to say hi to Fernando Curly Sanchez. Thank you very much, my man, for tuning in. Great stuff right there. Definitely in agreement with Derek Watt. Possibly being a key player this year for the Steelers at that fullback position. A good replacement, I think, possibly for Roosevelt Knicks. The nick of time, only time will tell on that. But if you guys ever want to catch me throughout the week, you can be catching me every Mondays and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. So, I'm going to just give you my final two cents right now. This Rooney Rule right now, the only part I'm still a little skeptic about is I hope they're not going the route with uh, getting more draft picks or whatever or anything like that to try and, like, reward people. You got to make sure you're hiring the proper people and uh, give them their just due because, no offense, they have only two non-white coaches. I mean, four non-white coaches, two front office people and GMs. That needs to be fixed. Let's be honest. And if anything, uh, I'm glad the NFL is trying to do something about changing the narrative on minority hiring. That's a big thing. NBA seems to do it flawlessly and more better than anyone. They care, I think, a lot deeper than any other sport. So if you're a Myers Standard. All right. Well, hey, that's going to call it, wrap it to a close for this edition here of the Mass Steel Podcast. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Project Richie at Ondex CSR and for the Mass Steel Podcast on Twitter it's at Mass Steel CGR and Instagram at Mass Steel Nation as always leave you don't be trolling be rolling I gone <laughs>